Ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome you to our special program series on Accessible World. And we are, we, we are now on the Zoom platform. And uh, if you come in late, make sure you're muted until questions begin. Alt-A if you're on the computer, star six on the phone, and there's a mute thing on the iPhone. Just play around with it, mute in case you want to yell at the dog or your wife or husband or whatever. Our topic today is the personalization of presidential politics. From as far back as I can remember, which is the late 1950s, most folks have proclaimed, quote, I don't vote for any party. I vote for the man, end quote. This assertion is inevitably vulnerable to a student once he or she becomes interested in history, sociology, or political science. After all, these three academic disciplines examine the social trends by the actions of the voter. They go to the motives or influences of the voter. Invariably, however, they obscure the absolute truth. The election of the President of the United States has always been more of a personal choice than a political conclusion. This all began with the election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and has become increasingly apparent, especially with the elections of Harry Truman, who told the truth by giving him hell. Dwight Eisenhower, grandfatherly war hero. Jack Kennedy, part politician and part movie actor. Lyndon Johnson, powerful politician with a New Deal agenda. Richard Nixon, the hardy, ski-nosed, realistic uh, statesman. Jimmy Carter, the smiling farmer, nuclear physicist who'd never lied to us. Ronald Reagan, professional movie actor, both handsome and a smooth talker. George H.W. Bush, the Eastern born and educated, sophisticated CIA director in cowboy boots. Bill Clinton, the handsome, gee whiz, Rhodes Scholar who played the sax and hated war. George W. Bush, Navy pilot and baseball team president, common enough to wear cowboy boots like dad. Barack Obama, sophisticated, professorial black man who orated about more than just civil rights. And Donald Trump, the little guy's smart businessman and tail kicker. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very honored to introduce at this time my friend. He likes to call himself a student of history, but he's my kind of historian, Mr. Ed Cooney. Ed, the telephone or whatever you're speaking in is yours. Welcome. Thank you, Bob. Thank you very much. I, what is this about my third or fourth time on um, helping hands on your network? I guess it's appropriate to call it a network. Um, I want to just, <clears throat> I'm going to talk for just a, about 30 minutes, 30 or 35 minutes, and then I'll go ahead and take questions. Um, as I said in, in, in the beginning, Bob just read it to you. Um, as, as far back as I can remember, I, you know, people have always insisted that they vote for president. When they vote for president, they vote for the man, not the party. Um, 
I, I, I say this is kind of a, this is a vulnerable st statement to a student because a student, as students, we all look for reasons beyond the obvious. Um, I began to be really interested in vote and in presidential elections uh, in, in the late 1950s, early 60s. 1960 was my first year. Um, and of course, that was the Kennedy-Nixon race. <clears throat> and as time went on, I became increasingly interested in um, different philosophies of government. And I, back then, I was a Republican. I was a gold, I considered myself a Goldwater conservative. Uh, I defined a uh, conservative as somebody who wanted to uh, preserve the best that's in the past. That's, that was my personal definition of, of a conservative. Um, and so that was very important to me. And I was pretty much that way until the mid-70s in the wake of the Vietnam and the Watergate scandals. And frankly, Mr. Nixon, whom I had loved for years, disappointed me. And I'm afraid that uh, he left me open to um, uh, considering some of the alternatives. Back then, um, and in even, I suppose, up until very recently, um, I generally vote Democratic because, to me, the Demo okay, Democrats, to me, um, are open to more ideas. And in other words, the, 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 their, the, their idea is um, government has an obligation to serve everybody, at least on some level it does. The Republicans are a little bit more narrow. They, they believe that, that, you know, that free enterprise and economics um, run the system. And of course, that's the, that's the traditional, um, that's, you know, that's, that's the traditional, um, orientation of Republicans. Nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly fine. In other words, it's, it's something that you have to think about. Um, before I get into the specifics of that, let me talk for just a few minutes on who we've elected. You know, who do we elect presidents? So if we go back to the very beginning, back to George Washington. Um, in the first phase, going back to George Washington, We've elected nine war heroes. We've elected 22 veterans. We've elected 25 lawyers. We've elected 23 congressmen. These are people who served in um, both the House and the Senate. And we have elected three businessmen. Um, those businessmen, incidentally, are Herbert Hoover, uh, Jimmy Carter, and now Donald Trump. Uh, most people were, of course, um, aware of the president of the United States, but up until the New Deal, up until the New Deal, most people, the president was kind of a distant figure. Uh, sure, there were, there were, there were, um, uh, rallies during presidential campaigns as beginning in 1840 um, when the Whigs ran against uh, um, Martin Van Buren. And of course, during the time of the Civil War, uh, politics got very, very intense. Uh, but it wasn't until the modern presidency that people began to really be connected with the person 
of the President of the United States. And the first one they connected with, and perhaps we can discuss some of this later, some of the questions will be about this, was Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, who became president on the death of William McKinley in September of um, 1901, to, 1901 at the, tendi, at the tender age of uh, 42, um, was um, uh, the first president to be active, to be really, really social. You know, presidents usually responded to Congress. But FDR became involved in things. And for example, the fall of 1902, there was a serious coal strike in the offing um, be, between uh, coal miner, miners of the, of the anthracite coal fields in, in Pennsylvania. And um, TR was interested in doing what he could to force management to recognize the legitimacy of labor. And of course, back then, um, uh, management wasn't willing to do that sort of thing. But he became very much involved because he was very concerned that if there was a cold strike, it would, people would begin to freeze about the time they went to the polls uh, in the, con you know, the, uh, the congressional elections of 1902. And FDR, and I mean, and TR just insisted on doing something about it. So he forced the, the, the mind owners and so forth to, uh, to get involved. In addition to doing something about the coal strike, he became involved in busting trusts, you know, the, the, the companies that had a tendency to dominate trade. Um, he, <clears throat> he was interested in, uh, he established the Food and Drug Administration uh, because uh, it was apparent that a lot of the companies, in order to cut costs, uh, weren't careful what they put in our food. And it was important to regulate that. TR was um, instrumental, most instrumental, of course, in, in uh, uh, establishing the, the Panama Canal. You know, in fact, he took Panama away from the Colombians is what he did. And uh, so TR and was the first modern president um, whom people began to think that maybe they knew a little something about it. And then, of course, probably the most uh, prominent thing he did, remember the, the teddy bear. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we can talk about that later. But the, the teddy bear um, uh, was invented in, in, uh, in early in, in 1903 in the wake of a hunting trip that, that Teddy Roosevelt had gone on. He'd gone on this hunting trip and... and um, uh, had decided not to shoot a bear. It was a black bear. Um, but the cartoonists and the, 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 that were covering the trip said, oh, no, it was a cute little bear. And so anyway, that the idea was that Teddy Roosevelt, even though he was a big game hunter, um, he wouldn't shoot a cute little bear. Uh, Teddy was a real character, and he was the first one that, that um, uh, the American people felt as though they knew something personally about. Um, Woodrow Wilson, who was a progressive, um, who was elected in 1912, he was also um, pretty well known by the American people. You know, the, the big thing was that um, FDR kept us out of war. I mean, I'm, I keep saying FDR, and I mean, I mean Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Woodrow Wilson kept us out of war in, in World War I. 
and um, um, people were not only grateful for that, um, they knew how hard it had been to him, how hard it had been for him to resist some of the, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, attack on the Lusitania in 1915. And he said, well, maybe sometimes a nation has to be too proud to fight. And of course, he had his share of opponents. And eventually, eventually Woodrow Wilson, at the end of his administration, sought to get the United Nations after the Treaty of Versailles, tried to get the United Nations involved in the League of Nations. And he took his case to the American people. It was the first time that a president had directly taken his case to the American people, um, you know, going, going over the heads of, of Congress, as it were. So, as, as I say, this, this, the, the presidency during the days of Woodrow Wilson became even closer to the American people. Um, the big breakthrough came as the result of the depression. It, it's, it's almost impossible to, to uh, put this into words adequately. The, the Great Depression, which began in 1929 with, with the first stock market crash, um, affected everybody. When FDR became president of the United States, banks were closed. Um, home, homes uh, were, were, were um, uh, there was a run on the banks. Homes were foreclosed. Just everything broke down. Nobody knew what to do. Uh, the people who had uh, <clears throat> people who had run the country, generally the wealthy, the generally the the, the better educated, um, the whole system had broken down. Bankers didn't know what to do. Farmers didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. And FDR came in. And that combination, that a warm, rich tenor voice, with great radio speaker, and he cut through to people, even though he had a Harvard accent. That accent mm -hmm. uh, it, it was learned to people. People thought, this man not only knows what he's talking about, but he's talking to us. And so he went on the air uh, the, on uh, March the 12th of 1933, and he said, I want to talk to you about banking. And he explained the banking <clears throat> bank holiday. And people, for the first time, felt that a president was coming into their room, into their living rooms, to their hearts, and explaining government in a way that it had never been done before. And therefore, there was, there was, a, there was an expectation that the president was a real person to a greater degree than had ever been the case before. Now, the depression, as I said a few moments ago, the depression affected everybody. What nearly happened in 2008, as panicky as people were, wasn't even close to what happened in, in the early 1930s. And as you can remember, everybody was um, deeply concerned in, 19, in, in 2009 whether or not we would go back into a depression. <clears throat> but just as people were concerned, they, they, they hadn't been stripped of all of their resources. People still had ideas. The president of the Congress got together to um, ameliorate the situation. President Bush, um, presidential candidate Barack Obama, 
they got together and decided that some of the companies needed, the banks needed to be bailed out. <clears throat> and that some of the industries needed to be bailed out through loans. And of course, it was controversial. But, they, but the country hadn't reached that degree of helplessness that they did back in 1932. So FDR made an impression. And uh, of course, having made the impression, having been the head of Mr. Dr. New Deal, uh, he became doctor when the war. Um, you know, people saw him on newsreels, uh, you know, the, the, the hat and the glasses and the long cigarette holder and standing on the back of a train. Most people didn't realize how limited uh, um, he was in terms of his, his capacity to move about. Uh, but he was strong. His, his speeches were strong. And uh, people just had a sense that, that he was communicating with Harry Truman. Um, carried on that that and that tradition um, came on at the end of World War II. Didn't even hadn't even been informed that there was an atomic bomb, and yet he handled um, situations that one situation right after the other that changed. Of course, you know there was there was the ending of the war, the atomic bomb, the the um, uh, in 1947 there was the uh, um, Aid to Greece in Turkey, um, the uh, the uh, you know the word isn't coming to me. The word is not coming. The word isn't coming to me. Um, uh, oh dear. Anyway, it was Aid to Greece in Turkey, and and it was the plan that that saved, literally saved Western Europe. Um, Harry Truman was a very straightforward man. Very, he, he, his his sentences were short. Um, he didn't he didn't give he he didn't give long speeches and eloquent speeches like Roosevelt. Um, but he he did uh, uh, he was real to people, and people felt that uh, people felt he was on their side. Um, Dwight Eisenhower was, of course, very grandfatherly. He, he'd been a war hero. Um, he'd been, uh, he was a moderate Republican. You, you felt that he listened to you. Um, he was kind of anti-New Deal, but he knew that government had responsibilities that went beyond uh, what they had been, you know, prior to the Depression. And so, he, as I say, he was a moderate Republican. And people, people had confidence in him. Um, his toughest time was right after Sputnik. And right, right after Sputnik, when people were frightened as to what Sputnik would mean to our national security. And uh, um, in fact, the Democrats are rather tough on him, but people wanted to believe Ike. Ike knew that we were really in better shape than we appeared to be because of the U2 program. He knew that the CIA was, was spying on the Soviet Union. He wasn't going to tell us about it, but <clears throat> he knew and he kept assuring Congress that we, Congress and, and other political opponents, that we, you know, that he was going to be, uh, that we were going to be all right. And <clears throat> John F. Kennedy in 1960 was new. He was new. He was, he was an adventuresome person. You know, he talked about the New Deal. 
and he talked and he talked about the need to um, that younger men were coming to power all over the world, and that we had to be ready to dare to do things we'd never done before. And of course, eventually, <clears throat> eventually we had the uh, Peace Corps and we had the Alliance for Progress. And um, of course, there were mistakes along the way. The civil rights, the civil rights, civil rights issues were coming into being, and um, it was it was a very difficult time. But 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 Kennedy was real to the people. He was a father. He was a husband. He was young. He was energetic. He was he was, as I say, part movie actor and 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 part politician. Um, LBJ, of course, came on, you know, the powerful politician, the man who knew how to get things done in Congress. He, and uh, uh, he knew how to get the civil rights bill through Congress. And people, people looked to him because, you know, the, the nation had been shattered in, in the face of the uh, assassination of President Kennedy. And in 1964, there was just no way that anybody else was going to be elected. People looked to Lyndon Johnson. In 1960, 1968 was pretty much chaos. Um, you know, the Vietnam War was old. Uh, we were losing too many people in Vietnam. Um, there was a lot of strife at home. Martin Luther King was assassinated. We were looking some, for somebody to steady us. And of course, the answer was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had been vice president for eight years under um, President Eisenhower. Um, people from both parties had a certain regard of respect for his abilities and so forth. And so as much as many people admired Vice President Humphrey, they looked to Richard Nixon's um, capacity for what they believed to be statesmanship. And of course, he was elected. Now, I didn't in my I didn't in my original um, introduction say much about Jerry Ford. I didn't say anything about Jerry Ford. Jerry Ford was part Jerry no Jerry Ford was part Nixon because you know his positions on both domestic and foreign policy uh, were pretty much the same as President Nixon, even in the face of Watergate. And so to to when Jerry Ford became president, the country felt it had the best of Nixon. Um, and of course, people looked for Henry Kissinger at that time to stabilize the world situation. And uh, it, was, um, it was a very close thing. People hated to oppose Jerry Ford, but Jimmy Carter came along and Jimmy was the outsider. Jimmy was going to come in and he hadn't been part of Vietnam. He hadn't been part of Watergate. He hadn't been part of um, uh, the inflation that was racking the country in the mid-70s. And people wanted to believe in Jerry Ford. His big mistake was that he pardoned Mr. Nixon. And of course, that would cost him. Jimmy Carter probably couldn't have been elected at any other time than 1976. But the fact of the matter, he was elected. And when you consider the things that he absolutely accomplished, that he absolutely accomplished, it's absolutely incredible when you think about it. He deregulated the trucking industry. <clears throat> he, uh, uh, 
signed the uh, Panama Canal Treaty that has done so much to strengthen peace in in um, in Central America. And of course, there's the, the Camp David Accord. So many things that went on, and yet the world was in chaos, and many people felt that Jimmy wasn't quite up to it. And so in 1980, we decided we need somebody with a little more eloquence, a little more assuredness. And of course, we elected Ronald Reagan. Um, Ronald Reagan was a very smooth talker, uh, very eloquent. Um, uh, he was um, uh, rather emotionally aloof. He was he was kind of separate, separated from problems. He did, he he wanted to talk about solutions more than he was willing to acknowledge problems. Next came George W. Bush, the educated CIA director. Uh, in cowboy boots, you know, he had a Yale education. And his father, uh, Prescott Bush, had been in the United States Senate, uh, had been one of those senators who challenged Joseph McCarthy during the 1950s. And George was ready to be president. He was certainly highly qualified for it. And uh, uh, he was clearly the choice of the American people over Michael Dukakis in 1988, although I personally was for Mr. Dukakis. But anyway, um, uh, I think people identified with his, he was very erudite. Um, okay. And then, of course, came Bill Clinton. I mean, uh, George Bush made a promise in 1988, read my lips, no new taxes. And even though he was successful for the most part, um, certainly um, responded to the crisis in, in, in Iraq, um, uh, the party never, the conservatives in the Republican Party never, you know, never forgave him for raising taxes. And they literally tore the party out from under it. And so he, he, he was not reelected. And Bill Clinton came in. As I said in my in my thing, handsome, smart, kind of a gee whiz kind of a guy. Uh, um, he was a saxophone player. Of course, he chased the ladies, which got him in big trouble. Um, um, uh, he was um, he'd been a college protester. He'd opposed the Vietnam War. He'd actually he'd been a Rhodes Scholar. He'd gone to the so he'd actually gone to the Soviet Union. And uh, uh, there are a lot of people that, you know, weren't sure that he was the right, but he was, that he was the right candidate. But he was obviously, he was obviously very, very um, uh, smart and very prepared to handle the office. Um, George H.W. Bush, uh, the son of the president, uh, president of the Texas Rangers. He'd been a naval pilot. There were questions as to, you know, how effective he had been as a pilot. Um, uh, he was um, he was very manly. He, like his dad, he wore cowboy boots. Uh, I remember that the. I remember that you know, remember that he was elected in nineteen. <clears throat> he was elected in in two thousand. And you remember the situation in Florida, such as been occurring over the past few weeks. 
And, uh, but I was very much impressed with the, with the fact that during his inaugural, he talked about being president of all the people, that, that he had obligations to people more than, than uh, uh, perhaps he had been willing to admit during the, during the presidential campaign. Uh, Barack Obama was going to be a change. I was, from, I was for Obama from the very beginning. A very sophisticated, professorial type of person, a black man who, who brilliantly orated about more than just civil rights. He was very calm and um, when under attack or when he was uh, <clears throat> required to, to uh, uh, make decisions. It, you know, it was he during the fall of 19, uh, during the fall of 2008, during the fall of 2008 that worked with uh, President Bush and members of the Bush administration in beginning to put together the pieces that um, uh, in the wake of the, um, in the wake of the, the, um, I'm having again. I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble with. Uh, um, I'm, I'm having trouble with. Oh, I'm having trouble with uh, exactly what it was. I, my mind must be going on me tonight. Uh, you're, um, thinking, you're thinking recession, Ed. Perhaps the wake of the recession. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of the recession. I'm, th yeah. I'm thinking of what happened to uh, um, Sachs. Yeah, what was it, Sachs? Um, um, that's fine. Somebody help okay. me with the word. The, 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 <laughs> the, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, the, the the fall of the of the of, of Sachs. Um. Anyway, um, I think President Obama. His major problem was he had trouble getting out in front of issues, and of course there were a lot of people who were determined that he wasn't going to succeed from the very beginning because he was the first, I think he, because he was the first black person who had the audacity to run and actually be elected president of the United States. This is my assessment of things. And um, um, anyway, uh, but I think he, he stands today uh, uh, very well regarded, and I think he will be a force in American politics for a long time, for a long time to come. Um, God, I want to say Saks Fifth Avenue, and if for some reason, uh, for some reason, it's it's not it's it's not coming, it's not coming through. Um, you know, back a few minutes ago, when I was having trouble with, um, it was the Marshall Plan. Marshall Plan, yeah. It was the Marshall Plan that I was talking about in 1947. Yeah. The Marshall Plan, the plan that, that literally fed Western Europe. And actually, the Truman administration even offered to uh, um, invite the Soviets to become a part of the Marshall Plan, but the Soviets turned it down. Um, Donald Trump is, as I say, is the third businessman we have elected president of the United States, the other two being Herbert Hoover and uh, uh, and Jimmy Carter. Um, Donald Trump is the working is, is, is the working man's idea of who ought to be president. Somebody who can make decisions. 
somebody who's unapologetic about who we've been or where we're going and so forth. I happen to think that we've come to the end of the era, and it's largely due to President Trump. We've finally come to the end, or we may be coming to the end of the conservative liberal cultural war, culture war. Um, many, many conservatives, such as George Will, David Brooks, um, have left Donald Trump. He's to be conservatism. He, he isn't a conservative. He's a reactionary. And I think we've come to the point where, I think we've come to the point where that sort of thing is having, doesn't have the meaning it used to have. I think people are looking for leadership on the part, personal leadership on the part of the person who would be president of the United States. And um, it's, I think it's be, it, was, it was apparent throughout the election. I think it's going to be increasingly apparent over the next two years. Um, so I think the, beginning with the Depression, beginning with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, between the Depression, between 1933 and 1969, we needed government. We needed a philosophy, a, a, a pathway, a, a path, so to speak, of of, of how to handle problems, because things were literally torn apart during the Depression. I think now we are going to be looking for people to to um, lead us in a more personal way. Um, exactly what is going to happen? Of course, I'm I'm not I'm hardly eligible to say, but I'm convinced that people will increasingly vote for the man. Uh, I don't think. You know, there, there, are there, there are conservatives and liberals on the extreme edges of, of politics. But I think most people um, are, are, are looking to the individual to take responsibility. I know when I, when I first became interested in, in politics, as I said earlier, um, I regarded myself as a conservative, and I thought I understood what conservatism was all about and so forth. Um, but I, I found, and I found back then, that I could talk to liberals much easier than I could talk to moderates because it seemed to me that, you know, everybody who said, well, you know, I don't vote for a party, I vote for the man, they didn't seem to have an idea of what they were talking about. And the one thing that ideological politics enables a person to do is to um, express a philosophy of government, an approach to government. And of course, approach is always going to be important. But I think, I hope we're coming to the end of this era, to the end of this poll, of this cultural war that we've, from which we've been suffering um, all the time. Anyway, uh, I guess that's about everything I have to say tonight. And again, I'm sorry for the stumbling, but uh, uh, I hope that at least I have offered something uh, for you to think about and ask about. Go ahead, Bob. Ed, you did a wonderful job. And I'll start with the first question. And then Thomas, I hear, has a hand up. We'll just recognize people. 
I'm not going to, sure. you know, we're sure. going to just be cool. Yeah. If you have a question, give your name, be recognized. Thomas is next because I heard his name. I just want to yeah. ask you, I just want to ask you, what about radio, television? Didn't that make the president more personal to us, more than the days of Martin well, Van that was, You know, that was the fireside chat. You know, that, in fact, that wasn't Roosevelt's name. No. Uh, it was It was given on the Sunday night of uh, March the 12th, 1933. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I once read um, a description of that, of that uh, um, a physical description of what took place at the time. Um, it was in the East Room of the White House. FDR was actually sitting in a little metal wheelchair mm-hmm. uh, right next to a set of microphones. Um, he had his cigarettes and cigarette holder with him. Uh, and uh, yet, you know, you wouldn't know that he was smoking at the time, but he was perfectly relaxed. He was what, you know, I wish I had been tonight. But, I mean, he was perfect relaxed, perfectly relaxed. He could carry it up. Yeah, I mean, um, um, FDR would have been fine for television, except that it would have exposed his his disability more than mm-hmm. than back then. He was willing to to allow it to be exposed. Um, FDR, of course, you know, tele- Kennedy was a Kennedy and Reagan were um, excellent on TV. Um, you know, the um, when you when you look at the presidents of the United States, the people who you know, really, really bring bring about an era. Um, I mean, Washington was obviously the first. Um, Lincoln was Lincoln, of course, saved the country. It's much easier to uh, fix a government when it's broken. It's much harder to fix a government when it's broken than to put it together from the very beginning. And that's that's at least in my view, Lincoln's greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you had the modern presidency, the activist president, beginning with, with Theodore Roosevelt. Um, but, yes, radio and television has, has a lot to do with it. Go ahead. Yes. Okay, very good. I think Thomas has a question. Thomas, okay. please. Okay. Hi, uh, Bob. It's Tim Cummings. Great presentation, Mr. Oh, Cooney. Yeah, so my question to you, and I'm interested in this uh, as as the historian that you are and looking towards the future you on the one you you said that you think the culture war you hope the culture wars are coming to an end and in Donald Trump we see a person who is not by any means a classical conservative on the other hand i would argue that probably the country and congress are more more polarized now than at any time in the past so i'm, I'm wondering what what you think is going to happen in terms of the two parties and in terms of how whoever is, whoever is elected um, to run against Trump or whatever, how they're going to heal the huge polarization uh, in Congress and in the, in this country. Well, Congress and the, and uh, Congress, the executive and legislative branches of the government, which are of course the president and the Congress, the executive and, and legislative um, branches of the government are traditionally often split. There's nothing new about it. There's, there's nothing to be terribly concerned about. Um, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I felt this way for a long time. One of our problems is we get along best when we let the politicians actually take over. 
when we let when we allow them to compromise when they aren't is so rigid they're not they're not so rigid according be, be, because they haven't been made rigid by ideology uh they they have a chance to create um so i mean i i hope we're going to get back to that i think it's going it, it, you know things are never the way they used to things are always changing and it's one of those things you know, all of us has to get used to from time to time. And uh, it'll never be the way it, it, it used to be. But I think that people are, 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 are going to be more open when they see how closed the president has been. You know, I think, I think people are tired of being manipulated into disliking each other. And I think that's the major reason why the recent elections uh, you know, came out the way they did. Very astute. Okay, we have two people with hands up. I can't see who you are. The first one, just sing out, give your name. We'll recognize you. There were two hands up. Anybody else? Any other questions? What? You, you, wanted, you wanted A for this? Let's go. We got more questions, I'm sure. Alan, do you have a question? You're harder to get in here. You copy? Ruthann, you can hear me? I don't hear you. No, I'm, I'm unmuted, Bob. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, not so much a question. I, I, I'll make a comment. I'm, okay. I, I'm not really sure that, that, that I agree that, that – uh, Congress has been led to 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 be to be so polarized. Uh, 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 maybe that maybe I misunderstood what Ed was saying, but uh, uh, it, it seems like that that's been happening on their own for a while. Uh, I I really kind of yeah. Well, I, I'm just going to you know say what my preference is. I I, I I used to be conservative too, but back in the day, but. Uh, uh, it, it seems like the Republicans have gotten to where uh, they, they don't want to they don't want to govern anymore. They they, they want to ramrod what they believe and, and they don't want to uh, they don't want to seem like they want to compromise. Stuff. I, I, I really got frustrated with them with the whole Supreme Court nomination that uh, Obama made and, and, and they just refused to hear it. It's like they they decided they were going to make up their own rules and stuff. And uh uh, uh, are, you, are you talking about Merritt, Merritt Garland? Are you talking about Merritt Garland back in Garland, back in yeah. Merritt Garland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merritt, Merritt Garland. Garland. Right, right. I, 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 I really, that that really set me off that uh, the, the the way that was handled because it's it seemed like and and, and I and I don't profess to understand the way all the political rules work and stuff, but it just it seemed like they, they decided they were going to do a political. Uh, 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 back door and just just ignore the way it was supposed to work and you know but alan, but, but alan before alan, you talk, one moment ed i want to say wouldn't the democrats do the same thing that is that just the height of cynicism but uh, i think a uh, lot well, of people feel that way they'd uh, say the uh, other party would do it too uh yeah i know and that, that's always very convenient and stuff well, let's see let's see what ed says on this i want to hear his comment go ahead ed well, no, I don't think the Democrats, well, look, it, Democrats aren't 
better people because they're Democrats. There's 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 no angel in the form of a liberal or a conservative or a Democrat or a Republican. The Demo- the Republicans are on a mission. Mm-hmm. Their mission is to get more conservative members of the Supreme Court. Yes, they want to overturn Roe v. Wade. <clears throat> you know, they. I, mean, I think a lot of them would like to put prayer back in the public schools. They have a long agenda that they've never seen realized, and so they're 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 determined to shape things when they have the power to do that. Uh, to realize those goals. Um, what, what the, see, Roe v. Wade for the Democrats has already been decided. All they can do is protect it. And of course they want to protect it, protect it. But when you're out on a mission to change things, uh, you're going to be more aggressive than you are when you're simply on the defense. And so, I mean, I think that's the difference between <clears throat> what's going on with the Supreme Court. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Okay, I remember back in 1987 when Rob, I, I enjoyed Robert Bork. I mean, I, I didn't agree with with his um, with his philosophy or anything of that sort, but I enjoyed um, uh, listening to Robert Bork. You could actually hear him sitting there puffing on his cigarette and, and answering all kinds of very heavy legalistic and philosophical questions, and I, I thought he was quite interesting, but he was the man who had fired uh, uh, William Ruckelshaus and, uh, uh, what was his name, um, the other one that's during the Saturday Night Massacre. Yes, Richardson uh, Cox. And, and, I'm sorry? Richardson yeah, Cox. Archibald Cox, that's right. And Cox. He fired, oh, well, he, yeah, he fired Archibald Cox, right. but Ruckelshaus, oh, oh, I know what it was, um, oh, you know his name, Elliot Richardson. Mm-hmm. Elliot Richardson, and, and neither Elliot Richardson nor uh, Ruckelshaus would agree to fire Archibald Cox. Right. And of course, he came on and he did it. And so it was payback time in the case of of uh, in the case of Robert Bork. And yes, the Democrats are are as capable of, of uh, you know issuing a little payback as the Republicans are when the time is right. Um, so, you know, we don't have any angels in, in, in you know, we don't have any uh, Democrats in the, in, the, in the costumes of angels or anything of that sort. Bob, can uh, you but I, I think, yeah. okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I'll just, go ahead. I'm, I'll wait. Don, no. you're be, you'll be next, Don. Let Ed finish. I thought, I thought I heard a pause and I took over. <laughs> That's okay. Let Ed go ahead, Don. Go ahead, Don. Oh, he it's, says it's, go ahead, Don. Go uh, ahead. You know, we have one. I was going to say two things. One, you know, I think Roe v. Wade was strategically, I agree with the decision, but it was a, in California, that uh, anti-abortion, an, a legal abortion bill was signed by Ronald Reagan. And oh, my God. That's right. Oh, that's right. I didn't know that. In the late, in the late 60s. Accepted it. They wow. It. I didn't know that. Yeah. The other thing, we have permanent... Yeah, uh, you know, Trump isn't the only minority president. More people voted for uh, oh, Hillary than mm-hmm. for him, and there's been a couple others. I don't know which. And if if it hadn't been for Scalia's decision, uh, uh, Gore would have been president. 
And we would have had a very different policy on global warming and everything else. We'd had a very different country. I couldn't agree with you more, Don. In fact, um, in fact, I think, um, <clears throat> well, you remember there was a third party candidacy there. There was Ralph Nader. Ralph in, Nader. In oh, yeah. He was, yeah. He, he was on the ballot in Florida. And, and uh, um, I think he got about 20,000 votes. Um, and Al Gore lost by about 500 votes. If, if, if you know, if only half of his votes had, had, had been available to uh, Al Gore, <coughs> uh, right Bush state. would not have been elected in the year 2000. So that's one. Um, yeah, the other candidates who, the, the other presidential candidates who have been defeated, or I mean, who have, <coughs> who have been elected. <coughs> in 1824, Andrew Jackson mm -hmm. um, got more votes than, than did John Quincy Adams. That was the year that... Uh, uh, Daniel Webster and and Henry Clay manipulated things in Congress because there was a there wasn't a majority in the Electoral College, and so uh, um, John Quincy Adams had agreed to make Henry Clay his secretary. Uh, yeah, Henry yeah. Clay his secretary of state, mm -hmm. and so uh, they swung the house over to uh, John Quincy Adams uh, in 1876. Samuel oh. Tilden. In 1876, Samuel Tilden had about two million more votes than than did uh, um, Rutherford hey. B. Hay, and of course, again, that that election was manipulated. In 1888, um, Benjamin Harrison had fewer presidential votes than um, uh, Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland actually won the popular vote in 1888, and um, in fact, there's a there's a story about about uh, President-elect uh, William Henry Harrison. Remember, he was a, he'd been a senator from Indiana, and uh, um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, the states of Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois—you know what their their southern borders are along the Ohio River—and what those slick Republicans did was they financed a series of votes. It went up and down the Ohio River, and they'd stop in at all three of those states. They voted early and they voted often. <laughs> and uh, Benjamin Harrison and his and his excitement about becoming president of the United States is his um, you know his happiness about that. He, he said to Matthew Quay, who was the boss of the Philadelphia Republicans, he said, "You know, Mr. Quay said the good Lord gave us gave us this election, didn't he?" And Matthew Quay says. Well, I don't know. He says, I don't know about the good Lord, but if the law discovered how many of our people had done what they'd done, they'd be in the penitentiary. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Ed. <laughs> okay, any other questions at this time? I have a question, Bob. Tim yes. Tim. Okay, um, Tim, go okay. for it. Okay, so um, I want to I want to get back, Ed, to the... the um, your comment earlier about the, uh, the, the, I guess I'd call them the cultural conservatives or the evangelical conservatives, whatever you want to call them, um, that I think it seems like that they're very emboldened now. And even though we have a situation where we have a Democratic majority in the House and a um, Republican majority in the Senate, what what gives you such faith that that we're going to get it we're going to get to a situation where 
the House and the Senate start to compromise again and not just keep keep on on uh, an ideological path, considering that you know the the that Trump's base, Trump's uh, base has. I mean, Trump has really kind of redefined the Republican Party at this point. I think he has. He has. Yeah. He has. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, in the first place, um, this is coming out in the the uh, column that I'm writing for tomorrow. Uh, okay. But Donald Trump is, seems to be about to get out in front of another issue. It is one of the few issues in which conservatives and liberals, um, Democrats, Republicans agree. There is a there is a big need for penal reform. Too many people are spending too much taxpayer in uh, taxpayers too much of the taxpayers' money in jail for too long, and it's 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 time to get control of that. Um, and so. That may be one of the few things that uh, um, loosens things up in Congress. Because it's, it's, and, and I think, <clears throat> I also think that they will eventually come to terms on this thing about, you know, um, the dreamers. I think they'll, I think they'll, they'll find a way to, Bob? to uh, do that. I, I think eventually they'll come to, because again, that that issue has been talked and argued to death. Um, so, I, I mean, it, I don't know that it's faith I have. I just, I just, well, maybe it is. Um, I just, it's gotten old. I mean, Trump's people, are, one thing about, I mean, we're all getting old, right? But, you know, a lot of Trump's, a lot of Trump's um, support are older, established, um, you know, the white nationalists and so forth. And as I say, they're not getting any younger. And yet it's the, the millennials, it's the more and more people that <clears throat> are coming into various parts of the country. For example, in your own state of California, look at what's happened to Orange County. I know. Orange County, they, you know, it's all Democratic. Yeah. And I, I think people have just finally had enough of it. You know, um, if we could do... I, I'd like to see the fairness doctrine take, uh, taken off radio and uh, re, reinserted on radio and television mm-hmm. so that the, the far right doesn't have a, the monopoly on radio that they have. Um, and I, I, I think even television. I, don't want to, I wouldn't want to do away with Fox News. Fox News is a legitimate network. <clears throat> but there are far more far right talk show hosts than there are progressive talk show hosts. And again, I think with time, uh, there's room for improvement there too. So Ed, you're hopeful and it does happen like Fox News sided with Jim Acosta, uh, uh, Chris Wallace, said I think he was a little rude, but no way do you take his pass. And Fox right. News sided on the free press issue. So they came together, not for long, but they did. They did work yeah. together. Uh-huh. That's what we got. No, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think we we I think this was a good election. I think we're coming around the corner. I don't know who we're going to elect in 2000. Yeah. I don't um, think. OK, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I no. don't think fair. This is Don. And I don't think the court they could impose the fairness doctrine again because we we're not stuck with three networks anymore. Uh, technologically, yeah. we have hundreds of them. Yeah. Uh, it's on the, the Internet. Art. And. 
so that you you get we're getting the some people call it silos but uh, i spend most of my time with that i'm a little guilty on msnbc versus yeah. uh, fox news you know cnn i see okay another question or two i think we have time it's up to ed though any other questions yeah i have a question who's this this is John? steve stern okay steve um Ed, we're sort of talking about Trump as as um, as if he were a classic conservative, and he's really got a pretty strong streak of populism. And I wonder how that's going to play out with the new Democratic Congress, in your opinion. Steve, I missed part of your question. You you, you see, he's not a classical conservative. He's a what? I'm sorry. He's a he, he has a strong streak of populism. Oh, uh, populism. Trump. I think. He's, ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's right. And and I wonder how that how you think that's going to play out with uh, with the new Democratic Congress, which uh, on the left, however, but it also has a pretty some some pretty local populist. Hmm. Um, and well, you know. When you look back in history, Steve, remember the great populists like Tom Johnson, the mayor of Cleveland back in the 1890s, uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan, um, George Norris, and even people like George Norris and so forth, um, and, 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 and Robert La Follette and people like that. Um, they had, their effect was around the edges of things, you know. They never got a hold of the entire agenda. Um, you know, they were good coalition people to have around. Um, I, I think, I think, um, I think Democratic, I think there's a lot, I think there are a lot of Democratic or left wing or progressive populists. I, I just don't think that people are, are are as tied to ideology as we have been in the past. Ideology is canned thinking. I, you know, I've talked about this many times. Ideology is kind of canned thinking. And, and a lot of us, I mean, we, we all, to some extent, are guilty of canned thinking. We all, we, we all I mean, I'm, I, I believe that government has a legitimate role. I like the idea that the Democratic Party, you know, is is about <clears throat> lifted by you know lifting all boats. I like that idea, and 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 I think it is. Um, and uh, I, if that's that's a form of populism, I suppose. Um, but I don't think we can. I think it's beyond. Our, I think I think we are beyond our own control. I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that. Well, okay, we very seldom govern our wants, our desires. Um, you know, we have a tendency to listen to ourselves more than we do to other people. I'm talking about us as a people. You know, and and um, I, we haven't found a map by which we can discipline ourselves. Yet, the common good. I mean, if we if we if we could agree, for example, if we agreed that 
the only cure for democracy. Remember, there's that old that old uh, admon admonition that Al Smith used to like to use. The only cure for the ills of democracy is more democracy. Yeah. And if we found wisdom in that, if we had a, a greater degree of tolerance for that, I think some of these things, some of this uh, narrow thinking would begin to break up. Well, Ed, I want to... We're here. I want to. I want to say before we let you go, we're all your fans here. But tell those who will listen to this recording how to subscribe to your wonderful weekly columns, please. How do they? Well, subscribe? I write a column every week, and I think just about everybody who's here that I know about who's here. But it's being recorded. It's, it's going to be recorded and sent to the world here. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Tell us well, every week. Okay, every week. Every week I write a column, which, which I call Cooney's Corner. It's my take on um, history, on current events, on what I call the human dynamic. And I try to write about things as objectively as I can, even though I'm, I'm as much as anybody else, uh, has, I have my own set of prejudices, my own um, predilection toward, toward things. Um, I try to inform, I try to stimulate people, and I try to entertain. And uh, um, if you're interested in, you can always send me a, a, um, an email or um, at uh, edwincooney45 at icloud.com. That's, That's edwincooney45 at icloud.com and uh, request uh, to, get my, to get my column. And I will respond to you. Uh, okay. Ed, on behalf of Accessible World and our special series program, one thing you can say about this man, he makes you think. Whether you agree with him totally or not, I don't think he worries about that. He makes us think. And we thank you very much for this outstanding presentation. Thank you, Bob. I'll do it again. And uh, oh, I good. think the next time when I do it, I think I'm going to actually write out the talk. You, know, I, you I did didn't very well, Ed. You know, you're too hard on yourself. You did great. You really did. Okay. Well, and I think the other guys are great. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Ed. We're signing right, off. Thank you, great presentation, okay. Ed. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank hey, you. Okay. Bye, for, bye for now. Good night, everybody.